When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there, some sort of demented creature, surviving in the wilderness, full grown by now, stalking. Stealing what he needs, living off wild animals and vegetation. Some folks claim they've even seen him right in this area. The girl who survived that night at Camp Blood, that Friday the 13th, she claimed she saw him. She disappeared two months later, vanished. Blood was everywhere. No one knows what happened to her. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Horror sequels are tricky business. As critic Tasha Robinson notes in an essay for The Dissolved, horror sequels are the exact opposite of horror. Horror is about exploiting the fear of the unknown, but sequels are about capitalizing on the familiar. So horror sequels must find the balance between delivering more of the same to audiences, but also something unknown. How well does this 80s horror flick sequel meet the criteria? Let's find out as Charlie Cotter and I return to Crystal Lake to discuss Friday the 13th Part 2 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback. All right, welcome in, everybody, and glad to have you back for another episode. I'm excited to have Mr. Charlie Cotter back on the episode. Welcome in. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing real good. I'm glad to be here, Tim. Thanks for having (laughs) me again. So uh, Charlie's been on a couple episodes before uh, our most recent one, Sleepaway Camp, which you haven't listened to that one. Go listen to it. I was like, you know, <laughs> if you've seen Sleepaway Camp, then go listen to it. If you haven't, you know, enter at your own risk. But, uh, yeah. uh, but we, uh, but he loves horror movies, and so it's always good to have him on one of these episodes. And so, uh, it's Halloween, getting ready for Halloween. It's that scary movie time where this is the t- time of the year where I watch more scary movies because it's not really my genre that I'm I'm all gung ho about. But 
uh, it's always fun to kind of watch these movies, especially during this time of the year. And uh, part two is, is fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of my favorite things about just horror movies in general is, mm-hmm. is especially over the last few years, instead of Halloween being October 31st, mm-hmm. Halloween kind of starts on October 1st. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. you have this whole, you know, you kind of, you hear this, you know, spooky season, mm-hmm. you know, spooky season is all of October. Kind of <laughs> like, you know, Christmas is all of December. Yeah. Um, and, and November so, and October. Yeah, some people. And, and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's what I, I, I love Halloween. So when you get these spooky movies and stuff like that, it's, it's great that you don't have just that one day or that one weekend mm-hmm. of Halloween to try you to have the whole month. In. Exactly. You have the whole month yeah. to build up to it. So oh yeah, I love this time of year. Cool. All right. Well, let's jump right in. When did you see Friday the 13th part two for the very first time? The very first time was probably five or six years ago um i was in walmart just walking around it was about this time and uh i came across the friday the 13th box set it was right. all um eight movies i didn't have the ninth one in there um but it was all eight movies and it was you know 15 dollars. so i was okay mm-hmm. sure i'll i'll grab that <laughs> yeah. um because i had heard you know everybody knows who jason is even if you haven't seen the movies mm-hmm. so you pick them up and you you know watch them you, you can't turn down that type of offer so I watched the movie and um, I actually really, really liked this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I would even say I liked it better than the first one. Um, yeah. 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 I, I don't really know how to explain it. I just, <laughs> there's different, there's the little things here and there that I just like better. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we talked about this. I don't, I don't think you, you and I didn't do the first Friday the 13th movie, but it is an episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, you can go back and listen to it. Cause we won't cover all the trivia for that one. But most people that are, that didn't see these movies when they first came out, don't realize that Jason Voorhees is not the villain in the first movie. So if you haven't seen right. it, spoiler alert, but you know, it's actually the mom that does all the killing and he pops up at the very end as almost a joke. The directors said that they just threw it in, threw it in as like a last jump scare because they loved how, they did that in the movie Carrie. So, uh, and even this one, everybody thinks of Jason as, you know, the guy in the hockey mask, the hockey mask still has not, you know, made itself known. Even in this movie, he's wearing a sack on his head, but you don't even see that until what, like the last, what, 20 minutes of the movie, maybe. Right. Right. Yeah. So this isn't the, the first two aren't what you think of when you think of a Friday the 13th movie of the Jason, the, the pop culture icon of Jason, we all know. It, it, we haven't gotten there yet, which is kind of cool going back and seeing these and seeing kind of the evolution of the story and the the mythos of Jason Voorhees. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard they wanted to hide his face, mm-hmm. but they didn't know exactly how to do it. And obviously, like you said, that hockey mask hadn't, hadn't made its debut yet. <laughs> so it was they didn't really know what to do. And so they found a sack that was on, you know, set somewhere and yeah. they put it on them and they, they didn't even really like it, but mm-hmm. it was just something to kind of filler until they found something, but they yeah. never found anything to replace it. So right. they just kept it. It was still kind of creepy though. When they actually oh, showed yeah. him in it, it was like, Oh, well, that's still kind of terrifying. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's, that's the one thing that, you know, older horror movies got right is the just element of, 
surprise, but also the suspense. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to see what Jason looks like. Mm-mm. As far as we know, he's just, you know, a, this monster that's, you know, running around camp killing kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't really need to see him. Right. When was the last time you saw it before watching it for the podcast? Um, <laughs> actually about an hour ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was, I was going to watch it a couple of days ago, just to refresh. Um, mm-hmm. But I had some time and I was just like, well, I, 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 I'd seen it fairly recently, about two months ago. Okay. Um, so I, I felt prepared anyway, <laughs> but then I had, I had the extra time. So I mm-hmm. thought, well, I might as well watch it again. Cause like I said, I, I really do like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little fresher in my, your mind than mine. I watched it a couple of days ago. I mean, it's still pretty fresh. And then Charlie and I were talking about it earlier. I actually watched Sleepaway Camp 2 around the same time. And so as I was going through my notes, I was like, uh, I don't want to get these two m- movies mixed up, even though there's really very little similarities besides it's just right. like random killings on a in a camp. But Sleepaway Camp 2 is much more campy and not really that scary. Honestly, it's all about the gore and just more like... Uh, it's more shock value than any, than trying to really scare you. So, but we'll cover that at another time, but uh, probably with Charlie, since we did sleep yeah. <laughs> the first one. So looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, and I, I know I've, I'm probably mentioned it on the podcast before that, you know, horror was not my big thing. And even when I got into horror movies and like middle school, I was more a nightmare on Elm street fan than a Jason fan. But I remember, I want to say it was like a last day of school, beginning of summer. Some of my friends, we had like a sleepover at a friend's house and he had like, you know, older siblings. I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade, probably maybe seventh grade at that point. And uh, they had a VHS probably recorded off a cable of a Friday the 13th movie. And I remember us watching it and being totally freaked out by it. And so I always thought it was part three, but when I went back and watched this one the other day, there were certain things like, I feel like I've seen this before. Like again, you know, you've seen so many different variations of this movie now that like all kind of, kind of blend together. But when it got to the end scene, which we'll talk about, I was like, Oh, I know I've seen this before. Like I was very vivid in my mind. So maybe this was the first one I saw. So still not hundred percent sure. I'm going to watch part three in the next couple of days. And I'll really know for sure uh, if, which one I saw first, but I was gonna say, if I didn't see this all the way through, I remember that in the ending I was say when Jason comes out through the window and it might've been either I saw it. That was my first one that I saw or somebody like, Oh, you got to see this part. And we, they, you know, fast forward to the end of the movie and we watched that scene. But I want to say thinking about it now, I want to say it had to have been two that I saw because I remember being bored through most of the movie. Like this is not scary. I'm not really, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, besides the kill at the very beginning, but without seeing the first one, it has no context when you're watching the second one. So when he kills Alice with the ice pick in her kitchen, which we'll talk about that too. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but I think that, that he was like, Oh no, it's going to get better. You got to see the end. And so that, this was probably the first one I saw. So, and then of course I watched it the other day. So, so this was, this was still kind of watching it with somewhat fresh eyes uh, watching it the other day, which was, which was fun. And having just seen the first one, a year ago, it's still pretty fresh in my mind. So it was good to go. And I will say when I watched the first one, because my, I think my friend Ron, we went and done that episode together and he was like, Oh, well, you know, Alice gets killed in the beginning of the second one. And so, because I was curious to see what happened, I just went ahead and started the second one and watched like the first 15 or 20 minutes of it. But I didn't watch the whole thing last year when I watched the first one. So. But, right. And that's the, the difference between, you know, growing up, 
after these movies that already come mm-hmm. out is that you know in my childhood we knew who jason was but i hadn't seen any of the movies right so when i first watched well i heard about what happens in the first one and heard mm-hmm. that you know jason wasn't the killer and i just thought well okay why watch well, it then <laughs> why, yeah why watch it um you know okay then why is jason such a big deal if he's not mm-hmm. even the killer in the first one um but you know so going you know being in a different time you might have a different appreciation for it um mm-hmm. i guess but i remember when i first watched the movie i didn't feel inclined to watch the first one because mm-hmm. it was like okay jason's not in it why mm-hmm. bother yeah, for those that don't know, Charlie is a young lad. He was not born in the eighties. <laughs> he was born much later, but he's still an um, he we we he's a uh he's a welcome member of the eighties flick flashback <laughs> club because he's seen a lot of eighties movies and has a love and appreciation for them, even though he was not alive when any of them came out. Uh but we, we don't hold that against him. Oh, I, I absolutely love the fact that I was born in the 90s and grew up a 90s kid but <laughs> if i could if i had to be born in a different time period mm. i wish i was grew up in the 80s because i love everything 80s it's uh, looking back at these you know i call them old movies but uh <laughs> looking back at these movies, <laughs> 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 looking back at these movies i think how much fun it would be to be in this real life situation. And they're obviously, you know, fake movies, mm-hmm. but how cool it would be to drive around in a DeLorean. Yeah. How cool it would be to be classmates with, you know, Ferris Bueller. How yeah. cool it would be to, well, not so cool. It would be to be a camper at, you know, <laughs> um, right. or, or, or Crystal Lake. Being around watching these movies now, uh, you have a, a new appreciation for them. <laughs> I, it's interesting to me to think about because like 80s movies are so ingrained in my childhood. It's like it's weird to think about, you know, not seeing these movies as they were intended or, you know, like are in the in the because like, we were talking. I can't remember if I, I don't know if that was on an episode or I was talking to somebody about it. I think some of the, the the younger our younger generations, people probably your age and younger, you have to go back and watch these movies and not just watch them as they are. You have to somewhat know about the time period they were made in to understand some of the choices that are made. Cause I, and I, what kind of prompt, I'm getting way off subject, but what kind of prompt, <laughs> what kind of prompted this podcast is I was actually listening to a podcast. They were doing RoboCop, which we've covered RoboCop on here is a classic eighties movie. And as they were talking about it, they, they were just tearing it to shreds, like ripping it up. And not that it's, and we talked about it, it, it is not aged well, but they, they all, they also said they were born in the nineties. They were your age. So they were watching it from their perspective, not thinking about what life was like in 87 when that movie came out and how, no, it didn't get the future right. But back then we, we wouldn't have known what that, you know, what that was, but the, right. but I was like, I was like, and the original idea was of the podcast was like, I want to watch a movie with a millennial and explain why 80s, why in 80s movies, <laughs> things happen the way they happen. And it's like, I want to educate you of why this movie is still, still great even though you don't understand right. any of the pop culture references because you weren't alive when it happened. And that, you know, evolved more to this, which I think this works even better, but, but this is kind of a mini version of that. So Charlie, the millennial and I are going to talk about <laughs> <laughs> an eighties movie. So <laughs> but, what an but, insult. <laughs> <laughs> it's not meant that way. I and now these messages. 
<sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, well, let's jump into the story origin and pre-production. You know, we, of course, we covered Friday the 13th, the first one already, so go back and listen to that episode. We're just going to talk about the sequel in this one. So following the success of Friday the 13th in 1980, Paramount Pictures began plans to make the sequel. First acquiring the worldwide distribution rights, Frank Mancuso Sr. stated, we wanted it to be an event where teenagers would flock to the theaters on that Friday night to see the latest episode. The initial ideas for a sequel involved the Friday the 13th title being used for a series of films released once a year that would not have direct continuity with one another, but be a separate, quote unquote, scary movie in their own right. Phil Scuderi, one of the three owners of Esquire Theaters, along with Steve Minasayan and Bob Barsaman, hopefully I got those names right, who produced the original film, insisted that the sequel have Jason Voorhees, Pamela's son, even though his appearance in the original form, I'm sorry, even though his appearance in the original film was only meant to be a joke. Steve Miner, associate producer of the first film, believed in the idea and would go on to direct the first two sequels after Cunningham opted not to return to the director's chair. Minor would use many of the same crew members from the first film while working on the sequels. Cunningham had mixed feelings about the entire Friday the 13th Enterprise that he outlined for film critic and author Stephen Hunter in an interview for a book Hunter wrote on violent films. Hunter stated that Cunningham wasn't particularly proud of his work on these films, and Cunningham bluntly said the only thing that seemed to reach a teenage audience at the time involved high levels of gore and graphic violence. So, yeah, so they about right for kids nowadays, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some things don't change. So they definitely wanted to make a sequel that made money. I mean, that's what Hollywood does. We talk about that all the time. But I thought it was interesting. You know, originally the idea was it just to be Friday the 13th, the title being what was going to be scary, not following a specific character. But then then, you know, deciding to go with Jason. I mean, it worked out for him in the end, but I'm sure that was somewhat of a gamble at that point. So. Oh, absolutely. I I heard that um, almost no one returned and you you just said this some of the like screenwriters and producers Mm -hmm. nobody returned because they thought that jason as the killer was ridiculous yeah oh yeah um and if you think about it it's (laughs) the the plot this movie doesn't make any sense (laughs) you have the first one you have little kid jason (laughs) who Mm -hmm. who died right and now he's you know he's back in this movie Mm -hmm. to avenge his mom right and it just it, so it just yeah if and you think like about a, it too much yeah you'll you'll blow your mind right so at the end of the first one he definitely looks like a kid now you know of course he's somewhat deformed and you know fe- deformed features so you don't really know how old he is but let's just say he's early teens supposedly this one takes place what five years later so right. it's technically even though it came out in 81 it's set in 84 which never really gets explained besides him just telling the story five <laughs> years ago, this happened. And I think they, they said the the original one, 
even though it came out 80 is set in 79. So we'll get all that, get the space time continuum working. But, but in this, he's clearly like a full grown man. Right. And so I think one person said, so you're basically telling me that like Jason lived, lived on like crawfish and tadpoles, you know, in the woods and no one saw this guy, even though obviously he created a shack in the, in the woods that we see later in the movie and nobody saw him. And if, he had been alive the whole time. Why didn't he stop his mom from getting murdered in the first place? Right. So it just, yeah, but once again, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And at this point it didn't matter. Right. Right. <laughs> it's a moneymaker. Right. And, and we'll, we guess we can talk about this too, is like, even at the beginning, of course they show him killing Alice at the beginning at her home. I don't even know how far away her home was from Camp Crystal Lake. If I don't think it's ever really explained, but he drags her body back to his shack because at the end when you see the little uh you know altar to his mom with her you know decapitated head on the table her body is there because you see a body with an ice pick in the head which you know clearly is meant to be alice uh so nobody saw him dragging a body because obviously he's not driving a car i mean he's he had to walk and she was in a you know not in a a very rural that's hard word to say a woody area <laughs> wooded wooded go. campsite area yeah the rural drawer. anyway so yeah it doesn't make any sense but once again it doesn't need to it's it's a it's a 80s horror flick that's just right. meant to you know as he said they're looking for high levels of gore and graphic violence and yeah it's just entertainment got. yeah yep <laughs> well speaking of the uh the scary elements original head of special makeup effects tom savini was unavailable to return due to his involvement with the production of rival horror film, The Burning, which I've never seen. Uh, So they turned to Stan Winston to deliver the gore for part two. Unfortunately, Winston was forced to leave due to scheduling conflicts, making way for Carl Fullerton. Within five years, Winston won an Oscar for his work on James Cameron's Aliens and his Stan Winston Studios would go on to be responsible for the design work on the Terminator, Alien, Jurassic Park, and Predator series. After a decade in gore, Fullerton ascended to the A-list of Hollywood makeup artists with movies like Glory, The Godfather Part 3, Silence of the Lambs, and Philadelphia. So these movies weren't meant to be epics or, you know, blockbusters. They were meant to like, we're going to, it's going to fill the theater for a couple of weeks. We'll make some money and we'll crank out another one next year. Because literally they did. They cranked out a new movie pretty much every year, almost every year in the 80s, especially the first, the first five years, five or six years. So to have those, you know, will be a, a award-winning makeup artist working on the project along the way. Pretty good way to get your feet wet in the industry, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And there were only 10 months between mm-hmm. part one's release and part two's release, which yeah. is just crazy to think about that you can make an entire movie mm-hmm. and release it in, t- you know, 10 months after its first one. So, yeah, I think they said that they had already they were already starting pre-production before part one was out of the theaters. Like it was, they were, they were ready to shoot pretty, pretty quickly. So this, this came together, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a rehash of the first one in a sense. I mean, it's not totally the same, but, but you know, it, they didn't, they need to, they didn't need a whole lot of time to think through a convoluted plot. I mean, it's, you know, right. Right. I heard that too, that it was, halfway a soft reboot and halfway mm-hmm. a sequel yeah yeah but this was, this was cool friday the 13th production crew gained a notable new addition for part two in the form of frank mancuso jr a recent college graduate at the time who happened to be the son of president 
the, the son of the president of Paramount Pictures. Mancuso Jr. worked on part two as an associate producer, also a crew member. By part three, he became the steward of the Friday the 13th series, producing the next batch of sequels and executive producing the Friday the 13th TV series. Did you watch any of the TV series? Do you remember? No, I haven't. I've, I really want to mm-hmm. i have no idea where you would find it yeah i was gonna say i don't i don't i didn't look it up but i don't even know if it's streaming anywhere or who has the rights to that i i don't think i ever watched the show i remember like the commercials for it especially like in around halloween it probably was one of those shows that was only on probably in the summer because the new kids were out of school and it was that was their target audience primarily especially on tv so i'm sure i saw some commercials and stuff for it but i don't ever remember seeing an episode or if i did i don't remember anything about it so right i do know that some of the actors in the show or actors and characters came back in some of the movies mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of continuity there but okay i actually haven't seen it all right well let's jump a little bit into casting uh i can't we're not going to talk about everybody and not that there's a huge cast but there was well there's a lot of the counselors even though most of them which i think is interesting you have a good number of them that get killed, but there's like a secondary group that we see in a few scenes and then we never see again. And there's no explanation of like why they're not yeah. there and what, what, where they went. Just uh, forgotten characters. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, peripheral characters, but we'll talk about some of the main ones and just people that had somewhat of a career or had something interesting. Pretty much no one in the, in this movie went on to anything like bigger and better. Like the first one, of course, Kevin Bacon was one of his first roles. And of course he went on to to bigger and better things, but everybody else in this one really didn't do much after this of any, you know, they did some work, but nothing that was, you know, to the level of like a Kevin Bacon or a Jamie Lee Curtis as we had in Halloween. So, but uh, we'll start with Amy Steele as Ginny Field. She was the film's heroine. Uh, she uh, she won the part through an audition. Originally, it had been intended for Amy Stills' character, Jenny, to die, but producers decided someone needed to survive. They loved Stills' performance and wanted to sign her up for part three, but her agent told her not to, stating she'd get better roles, and she decided to listen. Years later, she shared that she regretted that decision. While she did get a few other roles here and there, like in April Fool's Day in 1986, she largely left acting and instead became a marriage and family therapist. There's a career shift. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. But I, I mean, I liked her and I kept, I kept feeling like I'd seen her in other things as I was watching the movie. Maybe she just had like a familiar face. Cause I, when I went in her IMDB, there wasn't anything that kind of stood out like, Oh, I, you know, I remember seeing her in that, but she did have like a, a, uh, a certain presence in the movie that, you know, was good for that leading role. Like I thought she, she held, held her ground really well. She was very likable. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, she was a good final girl. Um, you know, the, the last character standing, she mm-hmm. didn't, you know, she wasn't a nuisance to herself where, you know, she just makes dumb decisions left and right and <laughs> right. deserves to die. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. she was smart, resourceful. Mm-hmm. And so that, that made her, you know, a likable character and a likable actress i'm sure Mm -hmm. yeah now one thing about this movie we talked about this during sleepaway camp is one thing that we did like about sleepaway camp is all of the campers were real teenagers now this is all counselors because this was like a counselors retreat before camp starts so there's no kids in this movie it's all the counselors which you're assuming are more like college age kids but a few of them looked 
old <laughs> or older. <laughs> and like, I know there's yeah. a scene with her and I think it's uh, Paul who's like the, the head of the group or whatever is like, I can't fraternize with, you know, the help, which assumed, which made <laughs> me assume there was like a, a big age difference as well. Like he's, you know, probably in his thirties and she's in her, you know, late teens, early twenties, but right. they didn't, but besides maybe that one scene, seeing them together, like that, like the rest of the movie, like, I felt like they were the same age and were, and it, it was obvious they were a couple. They weren't hiding it very much later. I was like, you're going to town. Yeah. I'm riding with you. You know, it's like, Everybody could right. know knew that they were, you know, hooking up or whatever. So, right, yeah, it was definitely obvious that they were, they were together. And I don't know how what the age difference was, but yeah. it seemed like Paul was the slightly older counselor who mm-hmm. was kind of transitioning from counselor to you know advisor and mm-hmm. in, in that type of role. And Jenny was the the older counselor, you know, yeah. in her last few years as a counselor. Yeah. So yeah, they were definitely together and, and that, that helped their characters obviously mm-hmm. with that chemistry. Yeah. And maybe because she was, she was clearly more mature than the others, you know, right. she carried herself a lot different than everybody else. So she yeah. had had a maturity uh, that kind of, maybe, maybe that made her look older or seem older than she actually was too. So anyway, but just a thought. Adrian King, who played Alice, returned. Following the release of Friday the 13th, she had numerous encounters with an obsessive fan. The situation escalated into a stalker case, and she decided to avoid any further acting opportunities. She has not done any on-screen film work since, but has done voice work on several films more for more than 15 years. Now, there's some, you know, conflicting stories here because the most prominent story is that there was a stalker that kept her from coming back, but there was some documentary or some book that came out a couple of years ago that said, Oh no, it was because she asked for more money. And the producer said, we're not going to pay you that much money. And so they basically wrote her out for that reason, not because of the stalker. And that's what they, so whichever one is right or wrong, she was on the beginning. But what I thought was interesting that she says there was no script for her scene, which is why she didn't know the character died. So she didn't even know when she showed up for <laughs> showed up yeah. on set, she didn't know that she was going to die. She was she kept asking for a script and they never gave her one. Uh, she showed up on set, found out Jason was going to kill her, and they needed to completely improvise a phone conversation. So everything that she's talking to her mom about on the phone was straight ad libbing off the cuff. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, you get you get invited back to the sequel. You're the final girl. You're the yeah. hero of the last movie, and they don't even give you a script because they know you're going to die in the first yeah. you know ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. And this was the last thing that was filmed. Like they filmed this like two weeks after everything else had wrapped. So, so she showed up, like they said, they came to her house, put her in a car. She thought she was going to the camp to be part of the film. They drive her to this neighborhood and like, okay, go in this house. And she's like, where's everybody else? Like, Oh, we finished two weeks ago. It's like, she didn't meet anybody (laughs) else in the movie at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, which then kind of tells me maybe it was a dispute. Maybe it was more, you know, that, they didn't want to pay her. Then she just like, Oh, I'm too scared to be in the movie for going for right, right. Another little trivia thing about that. I, I don't know if you knew this already or not, but she explained on Facebook that the retractable ice pick was not tested before use. And the first time uh, Jason went to stab her, it did not retract. So it left a little mark on her, on her temple. So the second take, second take, the prop man had to make sure he aimed for the hole or the spot in her face <laughs> for the retractable part. I had not heard that. Well, yeah. And also seems like something you would check. Yeah. Yeah. 
and also the legs of Jason and that beginning scene where he walks in the puddle is the only time that Jason is performed by a woman that was actually a production designer that was wearing the jeans and the boot uh, for that for that shot. So I did actually know that I'd, yeah. I'd heard that um, in a video somewhere. So that was pretty, pretty impressive, I guess. Pretty yeah. cool. Well, yes, you know, something you may see on Jeopardy one day. It's, you know, it's oh, not, yeah. not changing the world. But it's a little trivia that that makes you feel kind of smart. Something to bring <laughs> up at a party. Hey, did you know that in Friday the 13th Part 2, there was a lady that was playing Jason? What? I didn't know that. Yeah, man. I knew stuff. I know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know things. Yeah. Jason Voorhees was played by two people, <laughs> primarily. So Warrington... Gillette's agent told him he had a part for a camp counselor in the film. He was actually going to play the part of Paul and he auditioned, but didn't get the part. However, they liked him and knew that he had gone to stunt school. So they asked him to actually portray Jason in the movie. Although he's credited as playing Jason, most of the scenes, the character was played by stuntman Steve Dash. Gillette only plays the unmasked Jason in the sequence where he burst through the window. Dash was upset at being uncredited in the role as he has most of Jason's screen time. When archival footage from this film was used in the next sequel, only Dash is credited as playing Jason. Warrington Gillette said he went to stunt school, but when they actually got him on, on the film, he couldn't do any of the stunts. So they were right. like, okay, bring in the stunt man. So yeah, he kind of lost the part from not being able to do the stunts, basically. And I heard that there were a lot of injuries to uh, Dash. Um, yeah, just here and there because you know Jason takes a lot of abuse in this movie, <laughs> yeah. um, and so obviously him being a stuntman and him being you know taking all of that abuse, there were some plenty of injuries. Yeah, so maybe it's better that the stuntman did it. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about one as we get a little further down. But I know I didn't write all of them down because there were a lot. There was like three or four that I, I didn't just for the second time I didn't put in the notes. But yeah, I think he fell on the he fell on the pick. And yeah, jumping out, of the, out of the woods in one part yep. and broke a rib. We'll talk about him slicing his finger. And uh, oh, yeah. I think he hit his head on something, too. I can't remember now. But, you know, he lives, so it's all good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so moving on with a few other characters. Uh, Stu Charno uh, played Ted Bowen. Uh, Stu played Ted, the sequel's comic relief character, much like the original Friday the 13th's Ned, who was played by Mark Nelson. Then in part four, the final chapter, Lawrence Monison portrayed another comic relief character named Ted, Ned and Ted. The Friday films consistently reused character names throughout the series. There were two Pauls, two Terry's, two Sandra's, two Vicky's, two Scott's, two Mark's. And that's just from this sequel. There were three <laughs> Tina's in parts five, four, five, and seven, two Robins, two Joey's, two Eddie's and an Ed. <laughs> Why on earth would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't, I'm, not, I'm more amazed that that's an actual fact or amazed that someone actually took the time to research yeah. that and find that out, you know? So, well, I mean, you made nine sequels. I mean, you made, you made nine movies in 10, in, in a span of 10 years. So you're not spending a lot of time thinking about different names. You're just, you know, whatever works rolls off the tongue while you're, or whatever gets typed up at the, at the keyboard when you're typing up a script. So. Oh yeah, that's crazy. At least they didn't make them all related in some way, so they went on a different route <laughs> yeah. than other movies. So, mm-hmm. so Lauren Marie Taylor uh, had a, was who played Vicky. Uh, she had a legitimate crush on her on-screen boyfriend Tom McBride, who played Mark, who was in the wheelchair. Uh, she was unaware at the time that he was gay, so that probably didn't turn out too well for her. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, he didn't do much. Uh, yeah. So a lot of these there's, you know, I, I'm skipping over a lot of people cause there really wasn't uh, much to talk about them. So Kirsten Baker, who played Terry, who had her skinny dipping scene. And we won't, we won't dig too much into that. It's a family friendly show, but this trivia kind of talks about that scene, uh, which I thought was interesting in the third draft of the screenplay, which the original screenplay was called just titled Jason. They were just going to call it Jason, not Friday the 13th. Her nighttime walk and skinny dipping scene was longer and there were no cuts showing what other characters were doing. While she's still being watched by someone during the entire scene, it's not shown that he takes her clothes, but instead she sees it's gone as she walks out of the lake and goes into the woods, walking around and calling for Scott, thinking it was him who was messing with her again, only to find him dead, revealing that it was Jason who was watching her and grabs her from behind. There's a jump scare later near the ending when Jenny finds her body on Jason's bed, but it's not mentioned anywhere in the script what happened to her. So it's interesting kind of alternate version of that that scene so which i can see why they changed it because they want you to think that it's jason that's watching her right takes the clothes so then you know of course back then it's always the we want you to think it's this we're going to change it to be something else so it could be uh scott yeah i wasn't that shocked about it so it could have worked either way i think maybe yeah it makes you wonder why they even had filmed two of those scenes anyway. Yeah. I guess like you said, for the, for that shock value later on, mm-hmm. which there was, there was a lot of, you know, there were a, a lot of jump scares in this mm-hmm. movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more on the cast, of course, Betsy Palmer, who played Pamela Voorhees uh, returns somewhat <laughs> in <Yeah>. this movie. <laughs> Uh, which uh, this is hilarious at a horror convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey in 2003, Betsy Palmer said she never appeared in another Friday, the 13th movie after the first one. Apparently she forgot about part two. Palmer was in Los Angeles at the time they were filming in Connecticut. She was hired for one day filmed in fr- and filmed in front of a black screen. So she, she did a few, you know, all she did was those couple of lines where her face and uh, Jenny's face are kind of, superimposed on each other so right and i heard that uh there was a quote somewhere that said uh betty palmer promised to reprise her role and then the quote says as long as it wasn't an inconvenience (laughs) 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 so uh, good old betty palmer keeping it real (laughs) (laughs) well obviously she wasn't inconvenienced to film for a day and didn't have to leave you know where she was so they probably paid her a good good amount of money too that was kind of a cool scene and we'll probably talk more about the ending. So we'll just save it. We'll, 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 we'll get there, but let's talk about most iconic scene. I think we both have the same one. Right. Yeah. We, we mentioned this uh, earlier. Um, yeah. I'll kind of lead up to it that the, the, like I said earlier, the final girl, Jenny, mm-hmm. that whole chase scene is really, really well written mm-hmm. and really well performed. It yeah. actually Unlike some of the other movies, um, and not just Friday the 13th, some of the other horror movies, it really, it, it really feels like she is obviously in danger. Mm-hmm. And, and it helps that they move around so much. Yeah. Like one of my favorite movies is Halloween, the original. Yeah. But the final girl chase all takes place in one or two houses. Mm-hmm. And they don't really move around a whole lot. It all it's all very compact and confined. Mm-hmm. But this one, because they spread out so much, it 
just it, it just feels like there's danger. It's in the middle of the woods, which is mm-hmm. already freaky. The middle yeah. of the night, scary. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is dead that she mm-hmm. knows of. So this chase scene is one of my favorite chase scenes in horror movies because mm-hmm. it feels genuine. And then uh, I'll let you take it away with, with that favorite scene, but it's just so iconic. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Jason jumping through the, through the window as she's sitting on the bed, waiting yeah. for him to come out the front door after it's, in, it's revealed that it's the dog and not Jason coming out the front. So, so well done. So, so well especially done. because they, they, you know, they, they have that suspenseful part where, you know, they hear the noise at the door mm-hmm. and then, you know, suspense wise, they walk to the door and they open it. And then it's, it's Muffin, oh, it's the dog, oh, and then you have right. the happy piano playing, and it's mm-hmm. all, you know, sunshine and butterflies. Right. And then, boom, out of nowhere. Yeah. There's Jason. But to, to its somewhat discredit, they just did what they did at the end of the first one, because it's the exact same setup. You've got Alice in the boat, and it's the nice, pretty, soft music, and then it's like, eh, eh, you know, it's like you know, you get the music and oh, the, yeah. the slow motion and you know all that kind of stuff all together. So, but but it worked. It still works, yeah. Because you think, I mean, especially now seeing horror movies and and the things that they've tried to do to you know fool us over the years, you hear the noise at the front, so automatically know it's not him. It can't be right. him. It's going to be somebody else. And so then the dog comes through, but I'm expecting him to get Paul at the front door and for her to fight him as he comes in. So to have him jump from the back is even better because it's, even though, you know, it's a fake, they still, they faked you out either way. So, which then, which then goes to, I, my thought was, so did Jason have muffin the whole time and then set muffin down to come to the front to take their, to, to, as a decoy? Well, I think just like in the first one, I don't think that that scene is real. I think that she's asleep because mm-hmm. earlier in the movie, we see what looks to be Muffin um, dead. Um, the, you know, the, the mangled up and the uh, Jeff and Sandra were out walking around and they came across oh, the right, right, right. this animal yeah. and they didn't even know what it was. Right. So I think that in, in canon in the story and whatever Mm -hmm. that muffin actually died and that whole jason jumping through the window was actually in her dream and didn't actually happen but it's still but when did she fall asleep but when did she fall asleep well i think she she probably passes out after the very end Mm -hmm. i mean who knows yeah um like we said earlier this movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense no no, (laughs) because we never we never know what happened to paul because you know there's a wheeling around the end like where's paul where's paul and like there there is no they don't give that answer i think i think it's i read some like in part three they kind of refer to they mention him to say and i can't remember now whether they say he lived or died or he i think he lived right yeah it's it's implied that he lives yeah so, which then, you know, kind of supports that it's a dream because obviously if it has to be a dream because he jumps, you see the jump, but then where does he go? Does she, you know, right. we, don't, we don't see what happens to him. Did he get beat right. or whatever? He, so. he supposedly grabs Jenny and mm-hmm. pulls her out of the window, mm-hmm. but, but then what? Right. Next but time we see Jenny, she's on a stretcher. Coming out of that building. So they know, right. you know, she probably does. And uh, she probably does walk 
to that um, mm-hmm. cabin or whatever right. and then falls asleep or passes out or whatever yeah. and then has that dream or mm-hmm. whatever and then that's <laughs> right. what that's when they come and get her and take her to the yeah. hospital yeah so we know that's the most iconic i think that we we both kind of mentioned before the podcast that was our favorite scene of the movie absolutely so, so what other and i think for movies like this it may not be favorite scene what's what's your favorite kill or what was what's the kills that stand out to you the most oh man that's a good one. I do. I do have a bunch of, I, I do have a bunch of favorite scenes. Like I said, I okay. like this movie a lot. Yeah, yeah, go for it. There's, there's the one at the very end when Paul and Jenny just get back to the uh, camp and they're walking around and all the lights are off. Oh yeah. Jenny just feels something's off and she mm-hmm. says, "We're not alone in here. There's, there's someone in here." Mm-hmm. And then it does another pan and you can see Jason stand up. That was good. Just yeah. classic suspense and mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, another one that I really like, um, I think I said this one earlier is right when Jenny finds the shack, she runs inside and then there's a door and a window and you Mm -hmm. can see Jason running at her. Mm -hmm. It's those tiny little moments where all of the attention is over here. Yeah. There's a little bit of movement or there's this, you, you see Jason just for a second, just that, you know, slight, you know, misdirect. Mm-hmm. I, I love stuff like that. I wish that there was more of that because there's another scene where he's in the woods and we know that it's him because he reaches out and you see his hand. Mm-hmm. And I and as all the campers are walking, or the counselors are walking by, I wish that somewhere in there you could just see you know a little white of his hood as they're walking by. Yeah, something to show that he actually is there instead mm-hmm. of doing just the the first person, um, the first person view and then yeah. yeah. You know, Jenny looking around because she feels that something's <laughs> off. Right. Um, but favorite kill is without a doubt Jeff and Sandra, the yeah. uh, couple that are upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Jason walks inside the house and grabs the spear that Ted left and, and, uh, take, and takes the mask off, and, takes the mat, yeah. which that you know, you can, he grabs the mask and you're thinking, oh, he's going to put the mask on, but he doesn't, he discards it. But at that so point, you, yeah, but yeah, but at that, that point, you, yeah, you didn't know, yeah, but at that point, you didn't know he had because at that point, we don't know he has the hood over his head either, right? So yeah, we're, there, we're, there's another shot earlier where okay. it shows Jason's shadow, and you can tell, you tell that something's something on, his on his head because right. it's not a head shape, right? Um, but yeah, but that that scene was very good. He he gets a uh, you know two birds with one spear, so <laughs> that was yeah. that was pretty good. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about that scene uh, when we get into some of the trivia. So I'll save that. I don't want to say their favorite kills. I think shocking. The most shocking one to me was the most shocking. Yeah. My most shocking one was Mark and it, I I like it and I don't like it at the same time because it goes, it goes back and forth between, you know, looking at his face and then you have Jason's perspective and it's like, he's getting closer and closer. When you go back to Mark's face, there's no one behind him and Jason's right. not that short. So I'm doubt he's crouching down because not, not that anybody can see him, but when it, it hits, yeah. Go it's ahead. one of those where Mark definitely would have seen him <laughs> uh, or at least heard him. Right. Right. Yeah. It's um, a creaky porch out in the woods. We're going to hear, yeah. you know, the footsteps. It's such a good kill though. And it's an, it, it, I think it lingers a little too much. It yeah. should have shown back and forth once, but mm-hmm. it backs and forth maybe three or four times. And yeah. then you get the, 
and then you get the you know head shot with the machete um but such a such a good kill and still a good jump scare because you you know something's gonna happen yeah but but you don't expect that sudden you know (laughs) machete to the face and you're whoa and then he goes backwards and goes down which of course you you know it's a dummy i mean it's it's right poorly poorly done stunt but it's still once once again went too long if you would have seen like the first couple of bumps would have been like okay but they let it keep falling and the body just gets even more and more cartoonish because right. it, you can tell it's a dummy. It's not a real person. It's not weighted down enough to look real. But, uh, right. but yeah, that was, that was probably the most shocking one because like you said, it's like they're building it up the suspense, you know, something's going to happen. And then when it does like, Ooh, I did not see that, you know, that coming. So uh, that one. And I think uh, crazy Ralph when he oh, gets yeah. behind, you know, uh, which I didn't, ex- I mean, to see him kind of watching, which you, once again, you think it's Jason watching them and he find out it's crazy Ralph. And then all of a sudden, Ralph. yeah, I told you kids to leave here. Uh, <laughs> You're all doomed. <laughs> yeah. uh, which I read something about. They said that uh, other cast members said they would find him in different parts of the set, just mumbling to himself. And they weren't sure if he was getting into character, if that's just how he, <laughs> how oh, he that's, was. <laughs> that's awesome to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know this if I want to actually be crazy. Yeah, I don't know if I want a method actor in that role. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to know that you're saying. Uh, right. I'm not. We're not sending you an invitation to the cast party, the rap party. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so that scene too. But yeah, I think most of the other ones were pretty somewhat expected. I guess. I, yeah, the machete was the, and once again, that's you know, with the machete becomes Jason's kind of weapon of choice. You know, later. Oh, yeah. And I think they said that was the first machete kill of Jason was, was that one. So, yeah, it, I, he actually gets Scott a little earlier with the, uh, the rope. Um, and then he comes and gets his throat when he's hanging yeah. upside down. Um, but you know, I'll, I, I like, I like Mark being the first one. Yeah. So we'll, we'll count that one. Cause that's, that's such a, such a, such a good scene in general and mm-hmm. such a good kill. Yeah. So my probably my runner up as far as most gruesome is the hammer to the back of the head to the police officer. Oh yeah. Which was just like, Ugh, that's not going to feel good. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and then, yeah. And then, and especially that's the, the, uh, the first time you see the, uh, the mama shrine. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. It's even creepier because mm-hmm. it, you just, you'd the atmosphere around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that oh, that's a good one too. <laughs> so I'm, you actually one of the first things you asked me was you know when I first saw this. So I saw the movies, um, but one of the one one of the reasons I really really like this series is right about this time a Friday the Thirteenth video game came out, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was it was an online thing, and it, there was you know you could play with nine people. One person was Jason and then there were, you know, eight counselors. Um, and that was really what, you know, got me into this movie in the first place because okay. the counselor, the, the object of the game is to obviously survive. And then the person who's Jason is to, you know, make <laughs> sure that everybody. Right. Exactly. And so the eight, the seven counselors have to work together to, you know, uh, fix the car or fix the fuse box so they can call the police. And um, that was, that was such a, a cool game. And it, it 
the reason I bring it up now is because they have a, a, a little cinematic part um, of where they, they kill Mark and they do the exact same thing where they oh, hit okay. him and then he, he rolls down uh, the stairs mm-hmm. in the um, wheelchair. And um, it was just such a, th- that was, that was the point where it became more than a movie. And that's when I really started paying attention to the story. Um, and so, it, and then paying attention to these, you know, kills that Jason gets and how unique they are. And it's, it's a, it's entertaining to watch Mark or a dummy fall down the stairs, but <laughs> right. you know, who, who on set thought of that? Right. You know, right. Machete to the face and then falling down a flight of stairs. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it's so, it's just entertaining and fun. Yeah. It's the jump scare. It's the shock, the shock part of it. I mean, that's what they're, they're trying to get you to react and that's, oh, yeah. you're going to react from that for sure. So, Oh yeah. Shock yeah. value sells. Yeah. That's how they make their money. And now these messages. What's up dudes. I'm Jerry D of totally rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the eighties, toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Alright, so we'll talk a little bit about some trivia, maybe some other scenes we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll refresh our memory, so... Um, the plot of part two shocked most people associated with the original film. We've kind of talked about this already, but Betsy Palmer, Tom Savini, and Sean Cunningham all have made public remarks about how stupid it was that Jason was alive the whole time. If he was, then why did he, why didn't he just tell his mother that he was alive, which would have avoided all the murders in part one? <laughs> it, it goes back to that paradox, you know, yeah. in the first one, Betsy Palmer is avenging her son's death, mm-hmm. but he doesn't actually die. And so in the second one, he's avenging his mother's death, which he could have prevented in the first one. Yeah. So it's just this big paradox that, yeah. you know, if you think about it too much, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So a little bit about production. The actors stayed in the cabins on set. Uh, John Fury, Bill Randolph and Russell Todd came to Lauren Marie Taylor's cabin to play a prank on her. They scratched on her win- on her screen window to the point that she hyperventilated and fainted. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I 
So we talked about, you know, one of your uh, favorite kills was uh, Jeff and Sandra. Originally, that scene was longer and included full frontal nudity from Marta Kober. Uh, she lied about her age and they thought she was of age and she they found out that she was only 16. So that had to be edited out and the film destroyed. Uh, a shot of the infamous double impalement was cut as well to avoid an X rating, which I think they said they had to cut like 48 seconds of the movie as a whole to keep it from getting an X rating. Uh, yet a gory still photo of this censored shot appears on the back of the video cassette box. So if you find that oh, somewhere wow. in a goodwill somewhere, the footage of the censored portion was finally recovered in 2020 from an old VHS of the gore shots that Carl Fullerton kept for his portfolio and was included on the Screen Factory Deluxe Collection of the franchise. So they have like most of the 48 seconds that was deleted, they have been able to recover. And I think I read somewhere else that the uh, the VHS was actually melt the the film was melted together. So they had to find a way to separate it in order to get it to to play and transfer it over to put it on oh, the, wow. the copy. So so we talked about them not, that, playing their age. They actually had a 16 year old playing a 20 year old instead of vice versa. And you had like 30 year olds playing 17 year olds. So it all. Yeah. I also heard that, uh, Vicky, the, the very, um, last girl, uh, Mm -hmm. Mark's love interest. Mm -hmm. She was also underage. Oh, okay. Um, He he lied too. Um, (laughs) but she never had any, you know, scenes. Yeah. Risque scenes or whatever. Right. Right. So she kind of got away with it. Mm -hmm. This is maybe my favorite trivia thing because, when this scene happened, I, I can't believe I brought it up to it now. So I'll ask you the question. So when Jenny is under the bed, who peed? <laughs> Jenny peed or the rat peed? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> the The better question is, how did Jason hear it? Because <laughs> he's, walking, he's walking out of the door and then hears, apparently, because he turns around. Um, that is, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I think being at the corner of the bed like that mm-hmm. i think it had to be the rat yeah and jenny was just incredibly unlucky yeah uh, but that would also mean the rat had a huge bladder <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think they asked they asked her at some point and she said she didn't know but she did tell them that they made the pee out of discoloring coca-cola so oh wow <laughs> <laughs> but then i read somewhere else that it was, I, th- I think the director, or one of the writers said it was the rat. It was it, that that's who, that's who was supposedly was the one that peed. So gotcha. Um, but that that whole scene in general just goes back to what I was saying before. Just because that's that's part of the chase scene, and it's so good because you you think that Jason left, and then she, you know she's crawling out of the bed, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden he's standing there. You know, you know, it's it's not really a jump scare, but it kind of yeah. is with you know, yeah. your pitchfork ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, just the just. That whole chasing. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking about it because I could talk about it for a long time, <laughs> but it's, it's really good, especially when it comes to these campy slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll talk about the, the end. Cause that's kind of where we are. Anyway, that's all we really want to talk about. I feel like we're back <laughs> on sleepaway camp. The only thing good about this movie. No, no, this is different because the, there's the other good stuff in this movie, but the ending is, is the, is the iconic part. So in the scene, we talked about this a little bit too, but in the scene when Jason crashes into the window and grabs Jenny, uh, Warrington Gillette, who was playing him at that point, was actually hurt. He tried to break into the window, only it didn't break, and he ended up banging his head really hard on the glass. So 
Uh, Amy Stilla stated that she found shooting the window scene very difficult. The shot required three takes and her frightened reaction is genuine. The shot was in the shot was to be in slow motion. So they used a high speed camera. And every time she heard the film start running, she would tense up and get scared. So the whole anticipation <laughs> knowing it was coming actually like freaked her out. So like, you know, it's fake, but you've got to, which the thing, you know, a, once again, it's great. I mean, you're giving a real, a real performance that way. It's probably not fun for you as an actress or an actor to do that, but it worked. Yeah. I didn't even think about that for some of these scenes, you know, here in the director, you know, call action or, mm-hmm. you, you know, hearing the cues about certain things and having to be scared the whole time. I'm sure that takes a toll on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just think they had to film it three times. It means he had to jump through three times because they, they got it from going back and think about that scene. They show him from so many different angles. So I guess they, you know, they wanted to show that slow motion in the different angles. So it's a, it's a little too long. It's a little overdone, but it still works. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So another injury when well, this was, this was my favorite uh, story during the climactic fight between Jason and Jenny, Jason raises the mattock to block Jenny's machete swing. Amy still said that during the first take, the timing was wrong and she accidentally hit his finger causing him to have to go to the emergency room. Steve Dash has photos of him being treated in the ER in full costume, fake machete still stuck through his shoulder. After his finger was stitched up, he returned to set that night and insisted they complete the scene. He said they simply put a rubber cot on his finger and applied makeup to make it look dirty. <laughs> wow. I would How love terrifying to see would that be walking into an ER and seeing right. this guy with a machete in his shoulder complaining like, about his finger. Yeah. Why are you fixing his finger? Take the machete out of his arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. That's, that's good. <laughs> uh, for the final scene, the mummified head of Mrs. Voorhees is noticeably an actress wearing makeup rather than a fake head. I'm sure you could tell that as well. I know I did. Uh, the final shot is a close-up of the head ending in a freeze frame before the credits rolled. Originally, this shot ended with Mrs. Voorhees opening her eyes and smiling, but at the last minute, Steve Miner decided the effect was hokey and cheapened the movie's impacts. They freeze framed it before it got to that that actual scene. So, But I did keep waiting for it to like her eyes to open up or some like show some kind of life, but uh, they didn't do that. I'm so glad it didn't. Yeah. yeah. That would have been there's one thing in being ridiculous and campy, Mm -hmm. but to do that, that would just, that might ruin. Yeah. And then even if the effects, like I think he was saying it wasn't real enough. So it looked hokey, but to think, even if they got it to where it looked realistic enough, then it would have totally changed how the story went forward because then you're going to have to keep her a part of the story going forward. And I think they, they probably knew that she really wasn't, didn't want to come back. She didn't really want to come back for this one anyway. So it's oh, yeah. probably, it was probably smart on both ways. Like it doesn't look good enough and we're probably not going to get her to come back again. So let's not even make that a dot, dot, dot for the next, you know, the next episode. Right. So Friday the 13th part two was released theatrically on May 1st, 1981, bringing in just over $6 million. It's opening weekend. It played on 1,300 screens and would ultimately gross $21.7 million on a budget of $1.25 million. That's a good... That's a good... That's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. It was the 35th highest grossing film of 81, facing strong competition from such high-profile horror releases that same year as Omen 3, The Final Conflict, The Evil Dead, The Howling, My Bloody Valentine, 
Graduation Day, Halloween 2. I didn't realize those both came out the same year. And The Burning. So had a lot of horror movies come out in 81. Yeah, once Halloween came out and had all that success, they started saying, okay, we can, we can start yeah, doing We that. can do this. We can make a movie to be the, make money. Yeah. Yeah, for it to be the 35th highest grossing movie just in one year, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like it did all that great, but it did good enough to make. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to think about, I mean, even now, horror movies don't make it to the top. They make a lot of money, but like, you know, the one thing that's talk about horror movies is they have a great opening weekend and then right. they have a very that's quick, because, you know, once word of mouth, I mean, unless it has, I think Scream is probably the only horror movie that I know of. And I'm, of course, I'm not an aficionado on this at all, but that had staying power in the theater. But I think it was because it was, it was scary, but it was funny. It was somewhat of a parody kind of satire of. Yeah. It was a little bit of everything. Yeah. So I think I've heard that before as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, most of them they'll have a big opening weekend and then they just kind of disappear by, week three or four because it it's a it's a huge drop so but you got to think it started at six million opening weekend and ended up making 21 million so it it had it had to have had some staying power oh yeah and that's that's still a nice payday yeah especially for 80 81 exactly well for rotten tomatoes this this did not do well with the critics (laughs) as i can imagine uh i'm so shocked it didn't do well with the critics uh as i sarcastically say uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 27% on the tomato meter and a 48% audience score. So it's even, it's not even that high with the audience. Uh, and it's worse on IMDb. IMDb has it at 6.1 out of 10 with a 26 Metacritic. So it did a little bit better on IMD as far as the, you know, audience score. It's not a high tier movie for me. I enjoyed it. I'm like you. It's like, it's entertaining. It's one that I would like my wife, we were talking about, I was doing the episode tonight. I said, yeah, we did Friday the 13th part two. And she's like, oh, have you watched it already? I was like, oh, yeah, but I'll watch it again if you want to watch it. You know, I have no problem sitting through it again. It, it you know, it's still enjoyable, even though I know oh, yeah. everything that's about to happen. So, right. Uh, uh, so and that's for, the other good thing about these is that they're not super long. No, the, you, oh, this yeah. is this is an hour and 26 minutes, I mm-hmm. think. So yeah. you can you can sit down and watch it. And, you know, it's not a two hour movie where you've mm-hmm. got to really pay attention or it gets boring. Yeah, there's there's action in the beginning there's action in the end and it keeps your attention so mm-hmm. they had the right formula yeah it, you know like i said it's, it's rewatchability for me so it it ranks it's it's a little above average for me because it's something i would watch again it's not something i'm like i'm gonna you know want to pop in anytime you know i'm not like you i'm gonna pop it in in the middle of may like ah, i feel like watching Friday the 13th, <laughs> you know unless it's an actual friday the 13th or it's around you know this you know sp- spooky season as you mentioned at the beginning it's one of those, it's kind of one of those series. Like I just want to kind of watch them all, you know, in a, in a week time or, you know, two weeks period or whatever. But once again, because they're so short and it's almost like binging a TV show on a Saturday, you can get through most of the movies in a weekend. If you didn't have anything else going on. So. Oh yeah. And that's exactly what I like doing now with being October is, you know, come home, get home from work. I've mm-hmm. got, you know, four hours until I need to go to bed. So I've got <laughs> plenty of time to, watch a Halloween. We've got plenty of time to watch a Friday the 13th. Cause mm-hmm. again, it's, it's October. It's, it's, that's what it's for. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's time to watch those movies. And <laughs> again, rewatchability, I can watch it once a year. So that's a, uh, they had, they had the right formula down. That's for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. 
All right, Charlie. Well, thanks for being a part of this episode. It's always a delight to have you on. I'm sure I'll have you on again uh, sometime real soon, and uh, we'll do it again. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I always love talking movies and especially horror. So <laughs> thanks for having me, Tim. Looking forward to the next one. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.